All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Speakers Speak. Our guest speaker and our guest today is in love with speaking, coaching, and training about speaking, coaching, and training. Uh, he is the chief presentation offer of Robert Iyer Coaching and Consulting. He's a certified as a world-class speaking coach, neuro-linguistic programming trainer, you don't get those a lot of days, and a body language instructor. So please help me and welcome all the way from Taiwan, our guest today, Robert Iyer. Yay! <laughs> Hi, Robert. How, how is Taiwan to start off? Taiwan, look, I've lived in 11 countries, and I've got to say I've never seen a country like Taiwan. This is a country with the nicest people on the planet. They're wonderful. Okay. They, you know, like, I'll tell you, if they see me lost on the street, whether they're riding a bicycle or just walking, they'll stop, and they'll ask me if I need help. And they'll even walk me to the place. Yeah, yes. that's, that's not the same as what's going on in the U.S. right now. For those who, uh, it's June 5th, 2020. Um, we, we, you know, we're a little bit more divided than people in Taiwan. Probably. A little different there. A little different. Um, okay, cool. So I found Robert through uh, LinkedIn. I was looking up some awesome guests that I think would be helpful for the Speaker Speak podcast. If you're a frequent listener of the podcast, you know that what we try to do on this podcast is talk with people in the industry of speaking and communication to try to demystify what communication really is from a variety of different levels. And Robert has a lot of different skill sets uh, that we're gonna talk about in terms of his sales experience, his presentation experience, uh, and his international experience that adds a level of depth towards some of the explanations he can give to answer these questions. So my first question, Robert, um, is when did you get started, particularly when it comes to teaching public speaking, and what was the motivation to make that ultimately a, a career path for you? Well, it was May 2012, and this career started in a city I never thought would uh, start in Beirut, Lebanon. I was working for an American organization and they seen me present to high school students. And so one day the training manager pulled me into her office and uh, sat there, looked at me and she said, Robert, you can present. Uh, do you think you could do a two day, full day training for our corporate clients? Right. Now I have to tell you, I mean, I knew I had no experience in this whatsoever and that I really wanted to do it. So naturally I had to say, of course, of course I can do it. Of course. I mean, I had two months to put this together. I mean, right. I had more than enough time to put, to put it together. So let me ask you this. Have you ever procrastinated? Yes. The answer to that would be yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. I know the feeling. Fast forward two months, two days before the training, and I had nothing for this presentation. I called my wife, who wasn't my wife, and conversation went like this. I said, Danya? She said, yeah. I said, help me, please. And so she comes running over, and I tell her some PowerPoint to put together. I'm going through all these videos on YouTube, and I'm saying, oh, my God, none of this is going to work. None of this. It's too, too elementary for perfect people. And all of a sudden, I land on this page. And it's a speaker. He's a dynamic speaker. A speaker. I knew nothing about him. One thing I noticed: he was completely himself, and he was funny. And so, as I'm watching him, five-minute speech, I say, "This is all I need to do. 
I just need to get all the techniques he's using here and I start listing them down and I kind of transform that into a two-day training. Now, this speaker, his name is Craig Valentine, 1999 world champion of public speaking. I didn't know that. But ironically, like seven years later, he would actually become my personal coach in presentations. So he was a real inspiration to me. And he was who motivated me. And the workshop went so well that I continued doing this for them for the next three to four years. So basically this lady who recruited you just saw you speak one day and she was like, yeah, you're good at speaking. You can probably teach this. She gave you two months to create a curriculum for what it looks like. You waited until the last two days. You randomly came across Craig Valentine. You see his techniques while he's speaking. You jot them down and you transform that into a curriculum that you turned into a workshop, essentially. <laughs> Believe it or not, that's how the whole thing worked out. That's how the whole thing worked out. <laughs> so I, I guess, uh, so like, let's dive deeper into that. Like after that workshop happened, what was the motivation now besides the workshop going well for you to think you could keep doing it? Was it just kind of like you saw a business opportunity here and it was something you like to do? Or did you think like, maybe this is something that can get me to a higher level in my professional career given uh, you were working with corporate teams? Well, I had already been teaching high school at these American schools globally. Right, right. And, and so I liked presenting. And I think of all the things I've done in teaching, that was like one of my, my strongest aspects in, in, in high school. It's strong enough for students to ask me, are you ever gonna be a talk show host on, on TV? Right. So I, uh, I thought, you know what, I, I'd like to kind of transition to a, a new career. Right. And this was one pathway that did it. I always had this fascination with public speaking. I had a high school teacher who was like the most amazing public speaker. He spoke with conviction, certainty. And for a, for a teenager, like I, I, an insecure teenager, like I kind of equated all of that with confidence, something I've always wanted my whole life. And I started to realize how many people are kind of suffering from this confidence, this lack of confidence. Right. And so I thought that this was an area that I was strong at, that I was very good at just being myself at, and that perhaps I might be able to motivate people in this area. I might be able to help people just be more of who they are. And that's really the centerpiece of my uh, of everything I teach. Bring in more of you. That, 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 and that brings up a good point about confidence in particular, because I mean, I philosophically agree with that, that if you know how to effectively communicate yourself, your ability to be more confident in and authentic in the decisions you ultimately make in your life right outside of speaking um, fundamentally increases. What do you think is the intersection between being a good speaker and being more confident in, in general life areas? Being a good speaker and being more competent in in, in other areas. Confident, I, I, confident, I, not confident. Oh, being more confident yeah. in in other areas. Well, look. Let me put it to you this way. Um, there, there is an aspect of confidence that kind of naturally exists when uh, within us when we see friends and we're just being ourselves and we're just kind of. Um, you know, we have no hangups about how people are judging us. Right. Right. So 
when, one time, uh, it was about a couple of years ago, I was, uh, I, I, I was giving this presentation with some new material that I hadn't done before. And I, I felt like I was giving it my all, but like somehow that I felt a, a loss in the connection. And I'm usually very good at getting connection with people right away. And so during like 30 minutes later, during a, an activity I gave people to do, I walk over, walk over to my wife and I say, Daniel, what's going on? What, what is it? I said, I don't feel like I'm in the groove here with these people. I'm not feeling too secure about myself. And I'm saying this now after all these years of teaching and training. And so she says, you're doing great. She said, just, and she's the one who taught me this phrase, right. bring in more of you. And that's what I saw Craig Valentine doing. And I think that's really the key to confidence that when people are, are, are presenting, they, they go into this kind of presentation mode for two reasons. They're either afraid of something or they're not comfortable with their topic or they, or maybe three reasons. They don't even have any passion for their topic. It could be any one of those. And that this confidence comes when you allow yourself, your natural self to just kind of come out naturally in whatever it is you're doing, it could be in speaking. But, but how do you think people do that? Like, like when you say your confidence comes out naturally, is there like a framework? Is there a mindset for people to just be, be more of you, which would translate into confidence? Yeah, I begin to show shades of who I am when I'm speaking. Right. All right. So, how it is? I mean, like, like. It's pretty cool talking to you because right now you're there, you're 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 in your T-shirt. You feel kind of com comfortable in your own shoes. You allow that part of you to just come out. One day, I made a decision that what was getting in the way of my connection with audience members is that the way I behave in my life outside of presenting is not how I was behaving. In, in front of audiences necessarily. I used to go in with a suit, sometimes a three-piece suit, right. a tie. I wanted to give off this kind of complete impression of myself, which wasn't me. So what I said was, what would it look like? I started imagining, like, what would it look like if more of who Robert is just got into the front of the room? And I saw myself behaving with executives in a way that I would to some extent with my friends, because I still need to be a professional. Right. And I kept visualizing, visualizing, visualizing over and over, like what would that be like? I even practiced and I went way, you know, kind of, I exaggerated when I, when I practiced. That by the time the presentation came, who I naturally was, I had a great opening and a great introduction that who I naturally was just started to kind of flow. Right. It's way out of me. It was a lot of visualization and that decision that I made to just bring in more of me. And I dressed the way I would more, a little bit more formally than I would usually dress, but not like I used to with those three key suits. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a tricky and dicey subject, right? Because, and I get this question a lot as well. It's like, how do I be more confident? And there's a lot of different uh, areas and, and ways we can attack the question. But what you kind of just said was just like, I just kind of have to switch the light switch, right? I had to like be more confident because I had to be myself and I had to visualize and imagine what it means to be myself and that allowed myself to create the confidence. I also think at some level it's like, 
if you genuinely are passionate and you know what you want to talk about, whether it's a seminar, whether it's a TED talk, whatever it may be, and you know your material to that level, the impact of uh, or the the concept of impacting the audience with the passion of the content that you're going to talk about, and the audience could be an interviewer, the audience could be a first date, the audience could be a thousand people in a conference should motivate the inner you to then come out onto stage because that is the only way the content is going to be passionate enough to translate into an authentic form of communication that will resonate with other people. If you are putting a face behind it or a mask behind it or turning into the three-piece suit version of Robert, it, it's genuinely just probably not going to show up the way it would be, right? It, it's not. And it's going to be so much more disingenuous with people. Look, Part of what you read in my introdu uh, introduction is that our speaker, uh, uh, our, uh, how did I phrase that for our you guest today? Speaker. Yeah, our guest speaker is, is a speaker, coach, or a coach, and trainer. How did I phrase He's in that? In love for you? with I speaking, remember? coaching, and training, about and training about speaking, coaching, and training. Yeah, is in speaking, coaching, and training, and is in love. About speaking, uh, about speaking, coaching, and training. Yep. That is what you said. I love the word you use, passion. You've really got to enjoy what it is that you're doing because you'll either be bored and confident. It's not a matter of confidence, or what you're doing is just going to make you feel too insecure. And part of it is that you're not completely loving what it is that you do. And I've spent many years not loving what I was doing. And there was a time period, a tiny period of time in speaking when I wasn't loving it because I was too worried about how I was looking the whole time instead of just being the speaker. And I, I can't express this enough. Just simply bring in more of you. Bring in more of you. And it's the mindset, it's the visualization, it's the self-observation. Notice it and then let people know little bits of information about you from your outside kind of from how you are outside uh, what you like what your passions are are like like one of the things i love is going to the park with my dog i just love doing that and i bring that into my training i'll even have a photo of me and my dog or just my dog or a video or something and make a point about it in the training yeah yeah and, yeah and uh... I mean, you took it to a life perspective, right? If you don't like what you do and you're not passionate about it, it's not going to necessarily bring happiness and fulfillment. And from a speaking perspective, it's like if you're not passionate or energetic or like you, you actually give a damn about the words that you're saying, then it's not going to resonate. And for me, and this is probably similar for you, you know, my high out of life and the thing that I, I really like is that if I can reverse engineer or if I can, if I can, if I can know what the impact on the audience that I want to get, whether it's I want them to laugh, I want them to cry, I want them to feel something, I want them to, to, to like have a sh moment of shock when I say this one thing. And I can reverse engineer the technical strategies on how to get that reaction out of them. To me, that is one of the most empowering things ever, ever. Cause it's kind of like, it's kind of like what comedians do. It's right, it, right? It's like they're building up to the punchline and they know when they land the punchline, you're gonna laugh. And 
that that is their satisfaction that is their fulfillment because they were able to manufacture through a technical communicative strategy how to get that reaction out of you and for speakers for trainers for coaches i mean that's really one of the most rewarding things ever so for if you're going to an interview and you do have to wear a three-piece suit and you do have to kind of feel like you're not your authentic self the genuine passion and the impact of wanting to tell that interviewer your life stories about when you uh, failed, when you have to take a risk, how you deal with conflict resolution, to get them to give a crap about you is the, 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 the motivator that necessitates your authentic self to come to the foreplay, to come to the forefront, which hopefully creates confidence, right? You're, you're absolutely right. And I hope you don't mind. I'd like to steal that, that phrase that you just, just used, which is you actually have to give a damn. And that is something like that, that that resonates with me because I could see myself saying that. So I hope you don't mind if I take that, uh, you take got that it. from you. You got it. You got it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get a little bit more deeper into uh, presentations and particularly uh, sales presentations and sales coaching because I know that's some of the stuff you've been working on. Sales is such a you know interesting industry. There's so many companies that teach sales. There's so many people that need sales training. I guess if you could boil it down to like three things, the number is arbitrary, but like you could even say one thing, it really doesn't matter. What are some effective tactics you've learned over the, over your, over the past couple of years and your experiences um, for when it comes to helping other people become better at sales? What exactly have you coached them on? What tactics have you used to get them to better effectively communicate and ultimately sell their product, their services, their personal brand and get a result out of that? Yeah. So Let's, uh, let's move this back to something that I've mentioned already, which is bring in more of you, right? The reason I say that here for sales, that's particularly important because sales, it's, it's, a, it's a selling, it's a skill that, that people are able to kind of grasp onto when they're very successful. Bring in more of you allows your prospect to trust you more. And many times when you're in a sales situation and you're the one who's being sold, a product, a service, or an idea, you need to have trust in the other person. Yeah. When you begin to see that person being themselves and if you like who they are being and who they are, number one, you want to make sure that you trust that person if you want to do any sort of business with that person whatsoever. Right. So that's the first thing. Second thing, if are you looking for certain techniques that people in sales could use? Sure, anything that yeah. you thought have been as, has been effective, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people sell, number one, without building a relationship. They go straight for the sale. So the other day I was speaking to a consultant who was trying to sell me her service, and I will tell you, she had no interest in learning why I call. She didn't want to learn about me. She didn't build rapport with me. She didn't do any of it. And I was turned off instantly. Well, what's that word so, rapport mean for people who are listening? What is rapport? Oh, sure. Uh, building rapport means that you kind of gain this kind of deep connection with a person. Right. You kind of mirror their world to show them that, hey, look, you can relate to what it is they're saying. And you become more human to that person. So that person looks at you and says, you know what? This person is like me and I kind of like that. And you feel that connection with the person. Right. Because if you think about it, if you think about your friends, 
if you think about the people you associate with, that most times, and this is from NLP, people like people who are like themselves. Yep. People don't like people who are not like themselves. And, or, or they have to aspire to a person. Now, this person they want to aspire to, like Craig Valentine, for example, I didn't know if he was like me. I knew he had skills way beyond me, but he was so himself and he shared a story that I could relate to. I felt like he was like me. Right. So, so number one, gain trust by building the relationship before going for the sale. And number three, there are some great ways that you can speak to people. Now, many people in sales will speak to you directly. They'll speak to you straight to your, your conscious mind. Right. What you want to do is someone in sales is to speak to someone's subconscious mind. So in that subconscious mind, that's where your decision maker is. That's where the, the action taker is really, not the, more than the decision maker. Your conscious mind will make the decision. Your subconscious will actually take the action. Right. You have to speak to that part of the brain, the primitive part of the brain in which there cannot be any shaky hesitant, hesitancy. The, the, either thing, the thing is either yes or no. It's either a threat or it's a go. So there are phrases that you can actually use that will speak directly to the, the subconscious mind. Right. And, and like, wh I guess what is your perspective on this idea that sales can sometimes be a manipulative or unethical type of activity? Now, obviously, you're, you're always selling yourself in your life, right? Whenever you're having a conversation, you're selling, you're presenting an argument, whatever that may mean. But like the, 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 the car salesman that's always just trying to suck money out of you, what is your perspective on like not being that person but still getting the result, which is like sucking the money out of you and like selling the product at the end of the day? Yeah, well, it really, manipulation or people trying to just take away your money uh, boils down to one thing. And that is this, what is the person's intention? Yeah. in making the sale to you. So let me give you an example. Let's imagine this guy asks this girl out, really likes her, right? And this is a guy who never dresses up, never does really very much for himself, but he finally gets her to say yes. And on the night they go out, he wears a nice shirt, jacket, and he gives her an impression that isn't necessarily how he is in his outside life, right? right? And then after a few dates, he might bring her some flowers, something like he's never been to a florist before. And you question, all right, he really likes her. Now he wants to marry her. Is that manipulation? See, it, it really depends upon the, uh, the intention of the person. If you're looking to create a win-win situation, in which the person gets something that they actually need and want and get value from, and you're winning something out of out of the deal as well. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I call it manipulation. I call that kind of supporting people, helping people, connecting with people. So no, yeah, I, I I'd agree with that because it's you know there if you're trying to sell something like say a product or service that you genuinely don't believe in let's say you're selling your coaching services and your coaching services are like $3000 an hour 
And you know in that hour, you are not providing $3,000 worth of value because the person will not take what you said that they paid $3,000 for and make $6,000. Like it, it's just not going to produce an ROI. Then I think there's a level of unethicality in terms of how you suck them into your funnel to get them to pay you an exorbitant amount of money for a product that is not valuable. Now, they may voluntarily pay that money. But a lot of times, especially on the internet, you know, like there's a lot of volunteering. There's a lot of voluntary transfers of money uh, to people to coaches, consultants, or just like regular products that, that doesn't get the value uh, proposition that it, that it was necessarily promised for. And I think that's where we get into manipulative tactics that can sometimes attack the subconscious. But if you're a comedian and you want people to laugh, like you have to manipulate them to some capacity to get them to laugh. If you are like a girl and you're on a date with her, you have to quote unquote manipulate her eventually to get her to continue to liking you. But it's not really manipulation, it's selling yourself, which is what we have to do in order to get something done, whether it's a wife or whether it's a reaction from an audience which is what's going to feed your your stomach that night right like it, it's the ability to continuously make an argument every day of your life in a way that has good intent behind it to ultimately get a productive outcome it seems like uh, yeah you're 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 right on track and that is the win-win solution right and look you do, you do need to sell yourself in just about about everything even if you just want to make a friend with someone you need to show hey look look, we're, we're, we're the same kind of people. We are, you know, I, I'm getting into what, what you're getting into. You're getting into what I'm getting into. I mean, it's just, it's it's a part of day-to-day -day living. You're selling constantly. Right, and, and that's a really important thing that you bring it up, that it's part of day-to-day -day living. Because, like, in school, we are taught so many things, particularly from... Uh, elementary to high school that are not part of day-to-day -day living and i'm not saying we shouldn't t teach geometry and math i think all of those things are fundamental things to become more well-rounded but like the reason sales training or public speaking training and all this stuff exists is because it is the variable that leads to disproportionate success for some of the top you know success people in society i guess like some of the people who have just done a lot of stuff it is their bit their ability to sell and effectively communicate and uh if we are not engaging in that process in an authentic and meaningful way then it's hard to do this like even let's take the example of you and me right like i had to sell you to be on this podcast and i had to schedule a meeting with you and then we had to hop on the zoom call and then i, I had to talk about the benefits of the podcast you had to talk about the benefits of you being a guest like we were both selling each other there was a win-win and now we're here on this podcast and hopefully it's good content for people but if you can't sell yourself if you can't make that conscious attempt to put yourself out there through the communication strategies then then life gets a lot harder than it should be it, it really does. And this is the, the, the whole issue with, with confidence. Like, is there something, do you believe in yourself? If not, do you believe in the thing that you're talking about? If right. that's there, I mean, right. that, that confidence in, in your service product or idea has got to really be there. And a lot of that comes with just you loving that service product or idea, that you having the passion for that thing. And when I feel more passionate about something, automatically I have the confidence and I am not trying to, to kind of uh, malevolently manipulate anybody. Right. And like the most, I think one of the things that people can become the most confident about when it comes to communication, um, and this applies to a variety of different things, first date, interviews, whatever, TED Talks, whatever it may be, is yourself. 
Like the one of the most things you can be compromised yourself because if you lived an experience, who knows it better than you? Now the variable becomes if you can take that experience and meaningfully uh, say it in a way that gets people to care about it because a lot of people are just boring when they talk about themselves. But at the end of the day, the intrinsic level of motivation to speak about yourself is the fact that you've been through the experiences that you have been through. So pulling those to the forefront and then deploying those in particular moments of your life where you have to um, is going to hopefully produce the most energetic response from an audience. Yeah, it, it definitely will. And one of the things I've, I've got to say about audiences when they're at the sales presentation is that they're afraid of being sold to. Unless they're already bought, but it's they're afraid of being sold to. So I was mentioning earlier that there are these certain types of verbal phrases. And here's something that speaks directly to the subconscious mind, that if you were to say to them and you actually meant, hey, listen, this might not be something that you're into. You know, this is not for everybody. You start off a sentence like that and then you say, but consider this for a moment. And then you start talking about your idea. You start talking about your, your, your product, product or, or service, right? Now, two things have happened in a phrase like that, and they're not even kind of thinking about this consciously at this moment. So this is how you speak to their subconscious. You're being authentic with them. Well, I, I hope you're being authentic with them in what you, in, when you're saying, look, this, this might really not be for you. Now, that kind of, kind of makes people kind of just relax a bit and say, all right, guy's not really selling. He's sharing or she's sharing something with me, and then that's that. But the more important part of this might be happening in this sentence is the use of the word but. In that sentence because anytime you use the word or most times you use the word but what happens is it doesn't matter what you said beforehand what you say after is what people remember right right so just think about kind of like your 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 boss saying to you hey you know um we considered promoting you that you you, were, you wanted this promotion but we thought that this is not the time and uh, we want you to know you're a great salesperson. Like nobody goes back to their desk and says, well, they're not gonna promote me, but they thought I was a great salesperson. Yeah. You know, no, like, like nobody's excited about that. They just remember that next part, they didn't get the promotion. Right, right. They, yeah, I, yeah, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially when it comes to sales presentations. I mean, this is just making sure that like, you're, you're preempting the rejection that you could potentially get from someone, right? Which is like, yeah. you're talking to a diverse group of people, you're selling a product that you're probably not gonna get to everybody. So by saying like, hey, this is probably not gonna be for a lot of you, but you're still, but it's, but here's some information. I think it, what you're saying about them welcoming in the sharing the information is very important. And then on top of that, when you said a couple minutes ago where you introduce your dog sometimes in your presentations, I think that is the human aspect of sales, right? Like being able to talk about this is a product or service that you need to buy, it relates to this, and I have a personal experience with this that then overall connects back to the product or service, I think lessens the tension that comes with like, oh, he's trying to sell me something, he's trying to take something away from me, but rather introduces the human component of my intersection or attachment with what I'm selling, which hopefully gets you to be more in tune to buy what I'm selling. 
Yeah. And keep in mind that when you're up in front of the room, you're the expert with the knowledge, you're the guy or the gal with the, the special skills, you're the, the person with the experience. And so you're kind of already on this exalted uh, position at that moment. Right. You need to bring yourself back down to earth where where the rest of the audience is. And so you've got to kind of like, when I bring up my dog, it's either something that they can relate to because they have a dog, they've seen someone with the dog, their neighbor has a dog, their friend has a dog. Oh, it's just it's just one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, I know this guy. Yeah, and it, it's funny, you know, when you bring that up, it's like if I, I've watched uh, conferences or like live podcasts on stage with entrepreneurs and CEOs, and sometimes the, the, the person interviewing will or the person in the audience will ask a question about like, um, so how did you get the idea for this? Or like, how did this happen? Or like, what happened for this or that? And sometimes the thing that humanizes them the most is when their response is so utterly simple. It's like, oh, I got the idea for this when I was on the treadmill. It just came to my mind. because It's like, oh wait, if he got it on the idea or she got it on the treadmill, then I could get it like when I'm walking down the street. Like, it, or, oh, I failed 15 businesses before this one took off. It's like, ah, that makes sense. Cause I failed a bunch of, like that level of human connection and not putting your ego above just because you are the expert or deemed authority. Uh, I think it's fundamental towards building rapport as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when I when I was a, a, a teacher, my colleague told me about a, a group of guys she knows who they were all teachers, English lit teachers. And one night they all just got together, had some beers, had a little too many, and then they decided, hey, you know what? Let's let's uh, write this kind of fun book about Shakespeare that kids could read. And they wrote this book and they got this published. And when you hear the simplicity of how that idea erupted and you just say, wow, I could just do this. It's like doing that business plan on a, one of those cocktail napkins. And you say, oh, is that simple? Right, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely. Um, let's talk, uh, let's talk about this before I get to the next topic. Um, negotiations. Is there any, like, like, let's just do one tactic. Is there any, is there one tactic that you th think helps people when they're involved in a negotiation, get the better end of the negotiation? It's funny I asked this question because I just took a class in my last senior semester on negotiations. Um, so we spent a good five months just talking about negotiation strategies, but like, is there anything that you've coached that, that gets people to get their point across and hopefully get the better end of the deal or at least make a mutual deal that's effective? Yeah, so let's say you have party A that, oh, let's see, is this the one I wanna use or? Okay, let's stick with this, okay? Let's say you have party A, okay? And they're over here and they want everything that's here and you're party B and you want everything that's here. And somewhere there's this kind of overlapping space. So you have those kind of two circles with the, the overlapping space. Yeah. And uh, during these kind of negotiations, people can get, people can get, it, it can get a, a bit heated at times. One thing that people will say, like if I were to ask you, I mean, like what would you say if someone threw out an idea and you weren't really into that idea. And at the same time, you didn't want to, to, to kind of let them know that or offend them or anything. How, like if I were to say, you know, I, I, I think you should do X, Y, and Z with, with, with your, your talk show. That's not something you're, you're into. Uh, I think you should do that because it'll, it'll kind of bring you more viewers. How, how would you respond? It's funny because I actually had this happen today at a, at a business meeting where I was being pitched on something. And like while the guy is talking, I'm like, I definitely don't want to do this. The way I responded, which was literally seven hours ago, was uh, I'll get back to you on that. 
Oh, okay. So I try okay. to just delay the the inevitable bad part of the conversation where it's where I'm gonna have to admit I do not want to do that, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I see. Now, in a negotiation in which the conversation continues for quite some time and it goes on over a period of time, a lot of people will will refrain to what most people say. They say, uh, "I agree with you," but and you know that what they're about to say next is going to completely disintegrate what it yeah. is that you said. Yeah. Right. It's like a fake yeah. acknowledgement of what they said, but just to be nice, right? Before you go. Yes. Yes, just to be nice, they will kind of add this thing in. And once again, like I said, with the word but, no one is going to remember what happens after, uh, well, I mean, what happened previous to the, the word but. Right. So switch the word but for and. I agree with you. And perhaps we can add this to what it is that you're saying so that no one ever fully nullifies what it is that you've said they're willing to kind of keep that on board as they're kind of pacing you slowly to bring them to their side so by switching the word but with and eventually though if you want them on your side you're gonna have to nullify what they said right i don't know it depends how the conversation goes you know there are ways of I'm, I'm not saying that this will guarantee you getting what you're saying, but you're asking me like, what's a negotiation skills tactic right. that, that you can use? And that's step one, like, do not nullify what it is that, that they're saying. Um, are, you, are you questioning, are you asking me about like what happens after that? Well, so it seems like uh, you, like you have party A, you have party B. Party B has party A put a proposal. Party B, instead of saying but, they said and. So they acknowledge what was happening. I guess like my deeper question is, how do party A and party B come to a conses consensus? Is it is the first step really just making sure they acknowledge each other through the vocabulary you talked about? And then there's a better area for or a balance for conversation, overlap for conversation to be had? People will become more open to to you if they see that they're on the same plane as you so there is a three-step process in nlp and it kind of goes like this it goes you mirror people you pace people and then you begin to lead people right so when you're able to mirror their their values their beliefs their body language their their kind of tonality and much about them, people start to gain more trust in you. And you pace them as they move, as they change, you kind of pace them. And once they've gained some trust in you and you want to be good to this person, keep that in mind, you also want to bring good to this person, you can now start kind of moving them in the direction that you want to move them towards. Right. Um, and that will allow them some more so it's about priming people to make sure they're at least in your ball house and you have a uh, a bargaining zone where you guys can communicate to even get something good from the negotiation. Gotcha. Yes. And it doesn't hurt to have a meal with a person, by the way, because that is some way that you could mirror them also. They get to know you outside of the negotiation as well. They get to know more of you, you being more of you. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, speech anxiety. So... If someone's afraid of public speaking or someone's afraid of 
you know, going to an interview, someone's afraid of just speaking up. And I've met people who are introverted who are like introverted to the point where like, it's just not going to happen. Um, if you're working with a client or you're working with an executive that has to give a speech, they have to give a keynote, they have to, they have to say stuff in some setting, but they're scared. How do you help resolve that fear? Okay. Uh, two things. Number one, look, before any presentation, and I have taught for 20 years, I've done training for close to 10 years, I still get nervous before I get up in front of a room, especially if it's people I, I, I don't even know, people I've never seen before. It's, it can be daunting. So understand something. You are with most of the world. You're in good company. Uh, what can you do about it? Well, number one, a good way to start off, and this is something I learned from my coach, Ed Tate. He's a world champion of public speaking as well. He says he tells a self-deprecating story. Now, you could share any personal story. You're going to be pretty good at sharing a personal story right. with your audience, something that's just very brief. And that will get the audience to respond to you. And the more the audience responds to you positively, that fuels your confidence. Right. And you start getting into your, your presentation and share stories. Share stories throughout the presentation. Yeah, if you start getting some smiles when you're on stage, I mean, like that just, it's, it's, it's a different bolts because you're looking at people and, and it's the thing that speakers, or not just even speakers, people who are, who are, let's say, not the best at communication complain about, which is like they don't feel there's an authentic connection between them and the audience. If the audience is one person or a thousand people. And as soon as you get a glimmer of seeing that authenticity is being created through a genuine uh, connection, whether it's them laughing or them, you know, like really like being interested, not being on their phones, then everything changes. Then your confidence level is just like, wait, I'm the one who made them do that. So now I'm on stage. I'm just going to kill this performance and keep going. Yeah. And that means they also, you're right. You're right. It, it is, it, it gives you that, that kind of feeling like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to keep going. Another thing you could look for with the laughing and the smiles are also people just nodding, going like this. Right. When they're doing this, you know they're on your side. There's like you're saying something that they're agreeing with, and uh, that fuels you also. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Like to me, um, you know, I have a whole philosophy of how I get how I get over speech anxiety, how I coach people for that. I'm not going to get into that right now, but ultimately, it's like if I care enough about what I'm saying, and I know that it's going to have an impact on that audience, I'm going to be on stage, and because I value the impact of what's uh, going to happen in that authentic connection I make with the audience that is going to propel me to not be afraid to make that connection because when I'm on stage and I know they're going to laugh or I know they're going to cry or I know they're going to connect with or be inspired whatever it may be then that fuels and that that's where really speaking like becomes purposeful and meaningful because it's all about servitude at that point like it's really just about the, this concept of like this message needs to be spread, needs to be shared. I know that the things I say and the way that I say them will get the message into the hearts of these people. And that is fuel enough, at least for me, um, to be on stage and not be afraid. I'm just so motivated by the fact that I can get people to care. You know? And I have an opportunity in life to actually get them to care, whether it's an interview or whether it's on stage. Yeah, great. And you know, there's a way to set that up for them to already like you before you even get up on stage. Um, would you like me to share that here? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. First of all, when you have your introduction, 
throw in that, throw into that uh, introduction three things. Number one, what is the audience going to gain when you speak to them today? What are they going to learn about? What are they, what are they going to walk away with, in other words? Okay. Give some background of yourself so that you build some credibility. And then three, throw in something that people are not going to be expecting. Just like, for example, there was one time I did this training. Uh, my meeting, my meeting planner was this woman named Wendy. And uh, as we walked to the, to the front, I didn't really have a good presentation on this day and I knew I had to do something. So she read it and I said, yeah, all right, go ahead with it. I, I didn't have time to, to deal with it at that moment. So I said, wait a minute, Wendy. I said, hang on. I said, throw in the word handsome. Okay. I'm standing in the back of the room. She's about to read the presentation to executives. And I said, oh God, why did I say handsome? Why did I say it's going to make me look silly? And I didn't expect it, but when she got to handsome, my heart is going like this. She says it and everybody starts laughing. So immediately they, they really kind of like me at that moment. As I'm walking down the aisle to get to the front of the room, I see everyone clapping and they're all smiling. These are VPs, these are directors, these are partners from companies. You know, one person, one or two people I even high-fived on my way over. Now already they liked me before I even said anything to them. Right. So the introduction is so important that you get something in there that kind of reveals something about, you know, what kind of person you are and how you greet the audience when you walk up. If you could walk through the audience is important or you could just wave from the stage and that will say something as you're walking over to your to your place. Yeah. And then, you know, even then, if, if you incorporate that self-deprecating thing we talk about, then maybe you can get on stage and be like, huh, I didn't know I was that handsome because I got that many applause, yeah. <laughs> right? Like little fun stuff like that. I mean, yeah, the introduction, like, and those are the little itty bitty moments of constructing a presentation, constructing a talk that to me really, it, it lights my soul on fire because getting that reaction and knowing that she's going to say handsome and then I'm going to make a play of words on this to inter to get to hook my audience after they're already excited that stuff is cool to me, you know, and I'm genuinely excited yeah. for creating that stuff. Yeah. You know, I, it, it, I'm sorry when, as soon as you said that to make a, to make a play of, uh, on words, I didn't expect to do this, but right away I said, I don't know why Wendy said handsome. I mean, I certainly didn't tell her to say handsome. Right. Well, of course, you believe me. So they're all laughing at that. And I say, okay, let's get started. And I move on to a multiple choice question to get to create some interaction right away. People played along and the, the entire training, the entire presentation went very nicely that day. And then you're on your way to being a rock star. That's how it goes. That's how it <laughs> yes. goes. Seven seconds during your the opening, you have to do something that's going to grab. Yeah, absolutely. You got to hook your audience. Yeah. All right, Robert, this, is a, this has been a great podcast. This is going to be my last question for you, and hopefully you can give us some final little bit of wisdom on this. You've, you've traveled across the world. You've been to some countries in your, in your lifetime. How have those international experiences influenced the way you teach communication skills? That's a really good question. <laughs> he's thinking about all the different countries he's been to. Yeah. <laughs> These cards flashing through my head right now. You know, there, there's two parts here. Number one, there is a kind of human dimension around the world that in which we are all connected in the same way. And we all, no matter what country I've been to, the 11 countries I've lived in, there's one thing that people all face challenges with, whether in America, 
in India, in New Zealand, it doesn't matter. People are constantly focused on something to do with their confidence. I mean, even people who come off as completely confident will say, I don't feel confident all the time. I know I come off that way. So there's that human dimension in which you could always speak to that. So there's no difference there. It hasn't shaped my, my communication about confidence in any particular way. But I will make two distinctions here. One is when I, when I was uh, teaching and training in the Middle East in Beirut, the, the Beirutis have a great sense of humor. They're willing to laugh at themselves individually. They're willing to laugh at themselves as a nation, their, their culture, anything. You, you could poke fun at so many different things. So when I'm coaching there, I have a great time with it. When I moved over here to, to Asia, there's like this huge element of saving face in the culture, right. and it's so embedded. It's like how we in America are so kind of embedded with this notion of freedom. You can't take away my individual liberties. That's how powerful the saving face thing is here. Right. So when I first started, I would... I would ask people to raise their hands. I would put people on the spot, throwing out a question. I would, I would kind of tease participants. They weren't open to it, I'll tell you that. I had to warm up many times over in order to get them to trust me to, to do something like that. And even then, I don't feel as comfortable as I, as I did, say, in the Middle East. So it, here, it impacts my communication and how I teach it by kind of speaking more to a group, to a community. Um, and if I'm coaching, I'm very careful about how it is I'm expressing my language so that I don't, I don't happen to upset anyone in, in a group. Right. Robert, let me just plug my charger in real quick so this computer doesn't sure. flash. Sure. <laughs> Okay, um, so yeah, I'll obviously edit that part out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so absolutely what you were saying is sort of like the differences in cultures and international experiences that you've had fundamentally dictate the way you uh, present or interact with an audience because if that presentation is not playing on the cultural side of what the country is about, then the, they're not even going to trust you from the beginning at that point. That's that's very true. And even when I went to a Toastmasters, I mean, I, people loved the fact that I was just kind of free and able to be myself. And my English was because I'm a first language English speaker from New York. They they loved all of that, but there wasn't very much. I couldn't get them to interact with me because people don't answer questions, simple questions. They don't raise their hand. And say, would you like a million dollars now? No one raising. No one's raising. <laughs> Like, well, right. All right. I guess uh, I guess y'all all woke up on the wrong side of the bed. No one wants a million dollars. Yeah. So I I had to be very careful, and I learned more and more uh, how to kind of you know, shape myself around that. Um, and so I've had them do group activities, so no one's ever ever uh, doing something individually like that. Right. Absolutely. All right, that is a great episode on Speakers Speak, the podcast with Robert Iyer. Robert, if you want the listeners to find a way to come follow you, obviously I'll put all your links in the description so you guys can check it out there. But to follow you on social, where should they go? 
Okay, number one, they go straight to my website. And in fact, my website is robertire.com. And if they do uh, uh, robertire.com forward slash tips, they can get uh, five tips on how to engage your audience. Five tips on how to engage your audience. That's robertire.com forward slash tips. There you go. If you want to be a little bit more confident, definitely check out that website. Thank you to everyone who was listening. Thank you for Robert for giving your time. And uh, we'll see you next week on another edition of Speaker Speak. Bye-bye.